The richness and the multidimensionality of life has never yet been captured by any poet, artist, dramatist, philosopher. Cannot be captured, cannot be summed up. For most cannot even be known not even not even a glimmer of our own reality is ever perceived at the conscious level growth is a process of erosion whereas at the unconscious level it's a process of build up it's a very interesting duality. At the conscious level, our beliefs are constantly being eroded. How many of us have gone through the, the various levels of realization that uh, the government lies, the system is a sham, everybody's in it for themselves, the constant loss of trust in the other, the constant feeling that the ground has been pulled out from under you, constant feeling that you can't trust not only other people, but not even yourself, not even your own perceptions of other people. They're all made up of projections. And when your erosion of trust reaches a point where you realize you cannot trust your own thoughts, your own language. You don't even know what you mean by what you say. You certainly don't know what anyone else means by what they say. And even more frustrating, you don't know what they mean by what they didn't say. And when you reach that point of erosion where you realize that language itself is a trap, a prison, a labyrinth, a delusion, then what do you hold on to when meaning itself is eroded away? What can you share with another? It comes down to that. Like in that movie, The Magus, that guy at the end, he couldn't even say Eleutheria, right? Ah, freedom! That's what everyone wants, freedom, but from what? From their own consciousness. You see, we use language to grow out of the, the sense of helplessness. Well, we can't even formulate thoughts. It's just pure affect. Help me! You know, and we can't even say that. And then we are able to articulate very complex instructions you know, for programming our lives and other people's lives. And we use language for power. You see, and then below the erosion line, Below the consciousness, the buildup of the power drive grows. Since I don't know anything and can't trust anything or anyone, and everyone's a potential enemy, then I must constantly 
be active politically to increase my power. And that's what's going on in the unconscious of everyone's ego. It's a power drive. But a power drive that's so unclean and so ugly that it has to be denied and suppressed from consciousness. But don't we all use other people as part of our power drive? Even though we may call it love, or we may call it friendship, or alliances, or colleagues, or unions, or nations, or whatever. But isn't it really a collection of enemies using each other to support a power drive? And doesn't that happen here as well? Which is why the ethics of power, of the use of it, in surrender to God is so important. But if we're in the imaginary ego, then our God is imaginary, and Shiva too is just a word. And underlying all of that is the desire to increase power. Why? Because of our helplessness, our loneliness, our fear of abandonment, our realization that we don't know what we mean or what we want or who we are. And so the power drive compensates the insecurity of our not knowing. And the more that the trust in what we know and who we are erodes, the more the buildup happens at the other level to compensate for it. And when we have enough money, when we have enough of this and that political basis for a, an establishment of power, then we feel, oh, I can afford now to love, I can afford to give, I can afford this but it's all still within the realm of politics. And the question for an ashram is, can you create a community that is not political, that is trans-political, that recognizes all of these currents of energy that go on at the conscious and the unconscious level, but in which there is a true surrender of the imaginary's ego need for respect and honor and given that capacity to make decisions and to be seen as somebody and all of those unclean issues that disturb the equilibrium and the love from truly flowing in a community. And yet, once all of the belief in our own thought is eroded, and we recognize that thought, just like money, is a token of value, a token of meaning, but it is not meaning itself. And that the money system is about to fall in which those tokens of value that we had taken for granted will no longer have any value, exchange value, and they certainly don't have any intrinsic value. And when we recognize that the same is true for money, for thought as it is for money, then what is it that we have to trade with one another that has real value? What kind of commerce can we really do with one another when we don't need one another's words, we don't need one another's 
philosophies, what is real. And is there a real that corresponds to the signifier love? that isn't political or isn't a, a token of soothing one's insecurity and loneliness or isn't a slot in one's mythology or a scene in one's script. Is there something real that transcends all of that? It isn't part of the game playing of the ego. And can any of this really be sorted out until one has found the real self? Is there a real self? People give lip service to the real self. But how many have found that self? And if value is truly that which is real and yet no one is living in a real self then what kind of value what kind of world can be created by an illusory ego or a collection of illusory egos What do we build our lives upon when there is no trust within the ego of the other or the self? What is the foundation that we build our lives, our community, our future upon? And how can we make our relationships within this community, different from all other communities that have not even faced these questions, that either try to resolve them through some totalitarian effort of force or some indoctrinational effort of dogma, but a community that's actually based on critical thinking and freedom of consciousness. It doesn't align everyone magnetically by force. But says, go, search, discover. Find out for yourself what is real. But can you do it? Don't most people want someone to tell them what is real? Not just to throw out a bunch of questions that show that you don't know what is real. That creates more anxiety for most people. They wouldn't even want to hear any of this. But is there a real self that grocks all of these questions, that can contain these affects of insecurity and the hunger of the power drive? 
the demand circuit that never fully goes away. We may become very sophisticated in our form of demanding, but does it really dissolve? And in what way do we ever achieve real surrender to God? Or is that too just a political front? A moment comes when everything is eroded and even the power drive loses its interest. Even the concern for whether we live or die falls away. Even any interest in the ego and its confusion and its refusal to recognize its own unreality becomes contained by a larger presence. And when everything that we thought we were, and we thought we believed, and we thought we loved, and we thought we were working toward, when all of that is recognized as just another mask, another game, when all of it falls away, and we are left in as close to an absolute aloneness as possible, an aloneness that we cannot think our way out of any longer, then there is a discovery of what presence really is. And it shows up as absence, emptiness. An emptiness that goes beyond the horror of the emptiness, that is the ego's terror of approaching this black hole. but an emptiness which is not afraid any longer of the black hole. It eats black holes for breakfast. It's that level of emptiness that we must recognize as the self. And it's only at that point of complete fearlessness that the power drive can be digested. And the whole political energy of trying to control situations will no longer obsess the mind. And the peace that passeth all understanding and all language and all thought that is the final presence of fullness within the emptiness, the revelation of God becomes manifest when there are no more illusions, no more ego to defend or build up <clears throat> or support with political intentionality, no longer <clears throat> a concern for one's looks or one's alliances 
or one's capacity to convene or one's inherent apparatus of composure. When all of that has decomposed, and there is nothing left in that absolute sense of being bereft of everything. The light appears. And so most people have to be brought to that point in life. of utter devastation in order to find salvation. But a yogi's effort is a, deliver, a deliberate shedding of all of that apparatus under laboratory conditions. To discover that self that does not lie and that cannot be grasped and that has no words but no needs and that is free. It is this search for freedom that is the essence of a spirit. in its shedding of all of its unrealities, finally discovers that which it has always depended upon without affirming that which we most take for granted but never see, that which has no form but without which we cannot be. Let us learn to abide as that, because there is no other source of salvation. May we know the peace of the death of all self-images, the peace that comes with the death of our dependence on language, and the peace that comes from the death of our belief in death.